today we'll go into a subject that I, I kind of ran across during my studying over the last couple of weeks. Uh, you know, we've uh, in the past we've talked about when blessings would return, and there's been quite a bit said about that in terms of, uh, let's say, Joel, where he says that the former and latter rains will return in the first month, uh, and quite a bit of emphasis in Haggai, where he says that from this day forward he would bless the church in particular, uh, on the ninth month and the 24th day. Uh, I recently tied in the Feast of Dedication, uh, which Christ attended there when we were going through the book of John, which begins on 925. And I see perhaps a correlation there. It's likely not coincidental that since the Feast of Dedication had been established on 925, that God would then choose 924 as a day to begin blessing, and then the dedication of the temple, or rededication of the temple, having been cleansed, uh, would begin on 925. So there's a, a pretty nice correlation there of those events. <clears throat> However, I don't think I've ever uh, fixated at all on when the destruction of this nation would occur. Uh, we've gone through and shown, studying about Ephraim, that this nation, I think, undoubtedly from Scripture, is Ephraim. It fits the description of all the Scriptures, and Great Britain does not. I don't have time to go into that again at this point, but it's on tape. But the focus began when I ran across some familiar Scriptures, actually, uh, which talk about summertime and time of harvest. And uh, I got to looking into it and looked up some scriptures, and lo and behold, there, was quite, uh, there are quite a few that talk about destruction in the time of harvest in the summer or time of harvest early fall. And uh, if you look up in the concordance winter by comparison, uh, you find nothing. So, I don't know whether I can make a complete case for our destruction coming in the summer, but let's look at some scriptures and see how they add up. Uh, because the way the geopolitical landscape looks today, there's much being said about civil war, about riots, about martial law, uh, even before the election this fall, and perhaps around it, just before it, and just after it, depending on what happens. And I'm not here to try to to uh, prognosticate who's going to do what necessarily. Uh, don't need to get into that. But there is a lot of talk going around. And let's see what the Scriptures have to say. Let's begin in Isaiah 17. Uh, this is an ironic place to go because it's a burden against Damascus or Syria. Uh, but it contains an element here that has to do with Israel, which is why I went here. The burden of Damascus, behold, Damascus is taken away from being a city, and it shall be a ruinous heap. Now, if this is speaking of the Damascus in present-day Syria, it's under attack even as we sit here, and uh, its destruction perhaps is nigh. Uh, there is an 
a study that's an adjunct to this that we probably will get to, uh, which indicates that the original Damascus and Nineveh uh, in the Middle East, Mesopotamian area, may actually be Assyrian. Uh, so whether or not the modern-day Damascus is in the Syria, and it's that city we're talking to next to the Israel that is in the Middle East at the moment, uh, is open to some question. Uh, just as America being the end-time Babylon, or the first Babylon, the second, the New World Order is coming, but we always thought of Babylon as being in the Middle East. And now we understand that that term is used for America today. So, uh, God does change some things uh, from ancient history to today, and the end-time fulfillment is what we're interested in. So, whether it's speaking of Damascus in the present-day Syria or not, uh, is open to some study and question, let's put it that way. <clears throat> but whatever, it is a burden against some Damascus here, and it will be a ruinous heap. Uh, the cities of Erawar are forsaken, they shall be for flocks which shall lie down, and none shall make them afraid. But here's the part that gets interesting. The fortress also shall cease from Ephraim, and the kingdom from Damascus, and the remnant of Syria. Now, that might remind you of the conspiracy in Isaiah 7 uh, between Syria and Ephraim against Judah. I'm not going there today. Uh, it may have something to do with what I just said earlier about Damascus and Assyria. Uh, but it says, The fortress also shall cease from Ephraim. The fortress is our defenses. Uh, our military is going to cease. Now let's read on. And in that day it shall come to pass that the glory of Jacob shall be made thin. Now, we have been, in the past decades, the most powerful nation on the earth. So we've been, in that sense, fat. Uh, but that is going to be made thin. And the fatness of his flesh shall wax lean. Famine and pestilence is coming upon us. <clears throat> and it shall be, as when the harvest man gathers the corn and reaps the ears with his arm, and it shall be as he that gathers ears in the, valley, in the valley of Rephaim. Yet gleaning grapes shall be left in it as the shaking of an olive tree, two or three berries in the top of the uppermost bough, four or five in the up, uh, outmost fruitful branches thereof, says the eternal God of Israel. So he says here, our fortress, our military, will go away, be destroyed, be dismantled, whatever happens to it, uh, all the above, I think, and more. And at a time that Israel will be made thin. Now, does it mean, then, that, and when he uses the agricultural analogy here, that it's simply a matter of we lose our fatness, our wealth, and become poor, and skinny uh, and starving to death. 
Is that all it means, or is it giving us a little bit of insight possibly into what time of year this will occur, that we will be made thin during the time of harvest? Uh, it isn't, in this particular context, absolutely positively laid out exactly that way. But let's consider that possibility in the light of other scriptures as we go on here. <clears throat> let's go on to Isaiah 28. And uh, begin in verse 1. Now this is directly to Ephraim. The other was about Damascus and included Ephraim in the context and gave uh, what would happen to Jacob. And certainly the analogy of the harvest time or late summer was given there. Now let's see it here. Woe to the crown of pride to the drunkards of Ephraim whose glorious beauty is a fading flower. So the power, the might, the influence, the prestige will be like a flower drying up. Well, there's your first clue. When do the flowers dry up? Uh, in the fall. Which are on the head of the fat valleys of them that are overcome with wine. Now, behold, the Eternal has a mighty and strong one, which has a tempest of hail and a destroying storm, as a flood of mighty waters overflowing shall cast down to the earth with the, with the hand. So here he says, we'll dry up like a flower, and then a mighty and strong power will come against us and overflow us and to be a destroying storm. So it talks about our destruction here. The crown of pride, the drunkards of Ephraim, shall be trodden under feet walked all over. And the glorious beauty which is on the head of the fat valley shall be as a fading flower again, and as the hasty fruit before the summer, which when he that looks upon it sees, while it is yet in his hand, he eats it up. So here he's saying that it's like somebody gathering fruit, gathering uh, a summer crop, if you will, or fall, and it's taken away out of his hand. So that analogy certainly fits with a late summer, early fall, harvest time, uh, when the destruction will come. <clears throat> talks about the fading flower twice and the hasty fruit before the summer. Now, hasty fruit here, I think, would mean those things which ripen early. Uh, apricots, for instance, are one of on a, on a fruit tree, are one of the first that ripen uh, in the early summer, and then apples and various other fruits later on in the summer or even into the fall. So you have those which are early, or they come hastily earlier in the year, and then those who come later in the summer or fall. <clears throat> I think uh, I think apricots come. Is it even in June? It's fairly early, I know, because we picked apricots around here before the peaches came on and before later on the apples and so on. So uh, I would call it a hasty fruit or the beginning of summer as opposed to the end or fall, or fall itself. 
All right, let's go on from there to uh, Jeremiah 5. Uh, And here, let's pick it up, oh, about uh, 14, I guess. Or 13, the prophets shall become wind, and the word is not in them, thus it shall be done to them. So, we see that people do not understand what's coming. Well, go back to verse 12. They've they've ignored the eternal and said, It is not he, neither shall evil come upon us, neither shall we see sword nor famine. Trump's going to save us. (laughs) And the prophets shall become wind, and the word is not in them, thus shall it be done to them. So, uh, we are a nation in frustration, but we're... Some are being given hope by thinking that Trump will turn around and make this nation great again. I read an article about that just recently, how he'll be the guy that turns it all around. Well, we'll see, because these prophecies seem to indicate that if there's prophecy that evil is not going to come on us, that's a false prophecy. So here we're talking about the subject of destruction on this nation. Uh, Wherefore, thus says the Eternal of hosts, because you speak this word, behold, I will make my words in your mouth fire, and this people would, and it shall devour them. So he tells Jeremiah, uh, don't believe these things of peace, peace, and we're going to be saved. Uh, I'm going to make your words fire, and this people are wood. (laughs) And you know how fire and wood go together. Lo, I will bring a nation upon you from far, O house of Israel, says the Eternal. It is a mighty nation. It is an ancient nation. So it goes way back. It's nothing new that's been developed. A nation whose language you know not, neither understand what they say. Their quiver is an open sepulcher. They are all mighty men. So that shows there that it is a nation of great power that will lead... uh, in bringing the destruction upon us. Uh, If your quiver is an open sepulcher, that means that the arrows that are there or the weapons uh, of war are going to be mighty and just open up to the grave. And they shall eat up your harvest and your bread, which your sons and your daughters should eat. Now, is this giving us some indication of when this great nation with foreign languages coming on us, eat up your harvest. Well, when can you eat up someone's harvest? I guess if some of it's preserved, (laughs) or canned, or frozen, or whatever, uh, you can't eat up somebody's harvest in March or April, or January. But that does not seem to be the force of the words here. Eating up your harvest uh, would seem to indicate eating it when the harvest is ripe. Now, throughout history, most wars have begun in the spring and summer because uh, to supply armies in the wintertime to provide food for them uh, and shelter for them is very, very difficult. And there have been many wars uh, over time in history that they would fight in the spring and summer and fall and then everybody would take off for the winter and and rejoin the battle when the weather got better. Well, people don't like to fight in the winter. 
but as, a, as an invading army, uh, supplying that army from your own country becomes a logistical nightmare. So if you invade a country, when the harvest is ripe, when the vegetables and the fruits and the grains are ripe, then your invading army can eat from the fruit of the land. That's just a historical fact of the way uh, wars have gone in the past. It's not so much anymore because of the mechanization that we have. But even in World War II, uh, one of the main things that stopped the Germans in their invasion of the Soviet Union was cold weather and trying to, in mud and snow, uh, keep the, the supply lines open. So uh, summer generally has always been, and fall, uh, wartime. They shall eat up your harvest and your bread, so that which you harvest and that which you make bread from, which your sons and your daughters should be eating. Now, if they're being conquered and killed, they won't be eating it, but the invaders will. And eat up your flocks and your herds. Well, that could happen any time of year, but not your harvest. Your vines and your fig trees. So here, again, grapes and figs and so on come in in summer and fall. And impoverish your defenses, destroy your military, wherein you trust with the sword. He says he won't make a full end of us. Uh, Ezekiel 5 and other places show uh, about a 10% remnant of the nation will survive. Now let's go on to Jeremiah 8. Uh, here he says in uh, verse 13, I will surely consume them, says the Eternal. There shall be no grapes on the vine, nor figs on the fig tree, and the leaf shall fade. So here God is talking about consuming the daughter of his people, uh, verse 11 says, They've healed the herd of the daughter of my people, saying, people slightly saying, Peace, peace, when there is no peace. Now, what we just read in the previous passage was that they would say there's going to be no destruction. And here he's saying the same thing, that they'll say, Peace, peace, but there really is none. So he's really repeating what he said earlier. Or what? Uh, yeah, in chapter 5. Uh, verse 12, were they ashamed when they had committed abomination? No, they were not at all ashamed, neither could they blush. Therefore shall they fall among them that fall. In the time of their visitation, they shall be cast down. Now, is he defining here to some degree when that will occur? I will consume them, says the Eternal. There shall be no grapes on the vine, nor figs on the fig tree, and the leaves shall fade. When do the leaves fade? late summer, fall. The grapes and the fig tree produce in late summer. And the things that I have given them shall pass away from them. Why do we sit still? Assemble yourselves and let us enter into the defense cities and let us be silent there. For the eternal our God has put us to silence and given us water of gall to drink because we have sinned against the eternal. Now, people are going to start saying, let's go in where there's protection. Let's go in where the military, the police, the uh, military police, uh, the government can protect us. 
maybe Homeland Security, maybe the UN, <laughs> you know, as you get into this, they'll go into the places, and isn't that what's being projected right now, is that people will go to the FEMA concentration camps to get food, to get protection. But because of what's about to come down, uh, that's the only place they can go that they think that they will have help and food to eat. So it's, it appears to be part of the plan. Let us be silent there. We'll be taken care of there. And uh, then they'll blame it on God. He's put us to silence and given us water of gall to drink. And then perhaps some recognition of sin. And the church comes in here at some point too. We look for peace, but no good came, and for a time of health, and behold, trouble. The snorting of his horses was heard from Dan. So this was coming from the north. Dan was the northernmost tribe. Uh, the whole land trembled at the sound of the neighing of his strong ones, for they are come and have devoured the land and all that is in it, the city and those that dwell therein. And he will send serpents, cockatrices among you, which will not be charmed, and they shall bite you. And I think this is invading armies using insects as a, uh, as a description. When I would comfort myself against sorrow, my heart is faint in me. Uh, we'd like to think everything's okay, but we realize there's trouble. Behold, the voice of the cry of the daughter of my people, because of them that dwell in a far country. Now here he draws it down not just to the nation, but I believe to the church. Is not the eternal in Zion? Is not her king in her? Why have they provoked me to anger with their graven images and with strange vanities? So he's saying here that he has scattered the church, Laodiceanism in Revelation 3, because of the church's disobedience, because of our complacency. But notice something interesting here. People will begin to question, isn't God in the church? Isn't God in Zion? Why has all this come on us? The harvest is past, the summer is ended, and we are not saved. So here we're talking about destruction coming, and people in the church saying, we've just been through the harvest, the summer has now come to an end. You know, that's the time when Feast of Tab Trumpets, Feast of Tabernacles comes, and we are not saved. Now, is this indicating... A time of year, the trouble will begin, and people will look around and say, why hasn't God taken us out of all this? Why are we still here? Remember, uh, Jeremiah 50 and other places indicate that uh, people will flee and begin to gather just ahead of the northern army, just before the total destruction comes. Now, let's throw another element in there, and that is the possibility of civil war, of revolution, of trouble in the summer before the northern army actually attacks. So we could go through the summer, a very bad summer and fall, and then say, why aren't we saved from all this trouble that's on our nation? 
And then the invasion come shortly thereafter. And God's people flee to Zion just ahead of it. He uses that time of year here. Now, if you were in this position, would you be thinking this in February or March? Would you be saying the summer has ended, the harvest is past, why aren't we saved? Not in March, you wouldn't. You'd be saying that maybe in September, October. Summer's over, harvest done, and here we still are. So it is from that perspective that this particular scripture is written. For the hurt of the daughter of my people am I hurt. I am black. Uh, famine and pestilence brings, uh, uh, in biblical terminology, blackness of skin. Astonishment has taken hold on me. Great fear, astonishment. Uh, so, if there is civil war and revolution in the country, food supplies are cut off. That's happening right now in Brazil and in Venezuela. Uh, they just had uh, 5,000 people break into a supermarket in Venezuela trying to find food. So, uh, it's already starting to happen in some countries that are, have been less fortunate than us. Uh, military coups are in the wings. And there is a lot of press right now, a lot of rumor in this country, that we may face the same things uh, this summer and fall. So, is this the year, and in the summer and fall, that some of this stuff begins to come down? I'm not going to say that. It might be next summer. <laughs> you know, uh, We're not here to predict precisely or try to make uh, that kind because the timing is up to God. But it does, blessings will return to the church, again, per uh, 924 and the first month. There may be also some indication here when destruction will come and when the church is be going to say, be beginning to say, why haven't we been saved? Uh, maybe a lot of the uh, split-offs from Worldwide Church of God are beginning to say, what happened to the plane to Petra, <laughs> you know? Here we're in all this trouble and the, the tribulation and difficulty around us. And it's not tribulation time yet. There are a lot of events that have to occur before the great tribulation, building of the temple, building of Jerusalem, and so on. But that doesn't mean great trouble and strife will not occur for and revolution in this country. Now, the Bible says that very clearly. And that appears to come just before we are attacked and destroyed. And by enemies that have already invaded the country, as we shall see. Anyway, it says, Is there no balm in Gilead? Is there no physician there? Why then is not the health of the daughter of my people recovered? So, that is the church looking to Christ, the balm in Gilead. He is our physician. And he will not have saved when the harvest is done, the summer is ended, and we're still facing whatever it is that is coming down. And it's talking about destruction here. Uh, just before the destruction comes from the north to give you a time setting. And it seems to be in the fall of the year. Uh, let's go on then to Jeremiah 48. getting toward the end of, of this. Now, 
bear in mind that the Bible is written essentially for the church. We've been over that many times. Herbert Armstrong even said it very clearly. The Bible is written for the end-time church, and you'll find all through these prophecies comments about the latter days. So here in Jeremiah 48, this is, begins with uh, a prophecy against Moab. I won't go into it a great deal right now, but I do believe that the Mormon church is made up a great deal of Moabites and Ammonites, the two daughters of Lot who uh, became pregnant by their father when they thought all men had died once Sodom and Gomorrah was uh, destroyed. And you have more polygamy and more father-daughter stuff going on in the Mormon church than any group of people on earth that I know of, uh, which is an abomination to God. Uh, but Moab and Ammon were relatives uh, wasn't uh, I think Lot was the nephew of, uh, of Abraham. And they had the contention here in the promised land between Abraham and Lot as to who would be where. So uh, Abraham gave Lot first choice, and he took the land that he wanted, and Abraham took what was left. But that was done right here in this area. So uh, would the Moabites and Ammonites returned to this area. And they came out of Missouri and Illinois and settled here uh, and then expanded from there, and different other peoples have been involved. But the only place on earth named Moab is Moab, Utah. So I won't go into a great deal of that, but it does say that God's people there at the end of Isaiah 15, beginning of 16, uh, that... Uh, Moab and Ammon uh, in the previous two chapters would be destroyed and that which they have stored up would be used by God's people. Well, who are the people who have church doctrine to store up that you know of? The Mormons are the primary one that I know of on earth. Uh, it is part of their doctrine that they have three years of provisions uh, set up for trouble and destruction uh, that is to come. So, they're the ones that are our neighbors around here. <laughs> they're the ones that occupy Utah for the most part, and govern it for that matter. And they are the ones with the doctrine of saving up their stores, and God says it will be used for God's people. So, do we have Ammonites and Moabites around us now? I would say so. We have people of a polygamous nature, and we have people of a, of a storage nature. So, there are, there are clues here and there. Uh, and this is a prophecy primarily starting out against Moab. Moab is destroyed, verse 4. Uh, they've trusted in their work and in their treasures, it says in verse 7. You shall also be taken. Uh, the Mormons have gathered up many, many treasures uh, from Utah and southern Utah and around this area and have them in their vaults and their storage areas in Salt Lake. They even have uh, a golden Moroni on top of their temple made of solid gold, apparently. People have tried to steal it. I think they've now replaced it with a facsimile and they've hidden the real gold. I'm not sure of that. But uh, 
a very, very wealthy people. The Mormon church is one of the wealthiest entities on earth. They are huge into corporations and business and so on. So when he makes this prophecy, I don't think it's talking about the country of Jordan next to Israel in the Middle East. I think he's talking about uh, the Mormons of Utah. Uh, verse 16, the calamity of Moab is near to come, and his affliction hastes fast. Now, why would God use these uh, particular nations, Ammon and Moab, uh, Esau, Edom, uh, if they did not have something to do with his church? Because, again, if the Bible is written with spiritual Israel first in mind, physical Israel second in mind. Uh Verse 28, You that dwell in Moab, leave the cities, dwell in the rock, and be like the dove that makes her nest in the sides of the hole's mouth. There's one place here that talks about uh, how they go into the mountains. Uh, I've talked with several Mormons over the years, and uh, in detail with one in particular who is very staunch, who has his storage all up to date, and he's told me about places up in the mountains of Utah where they have made fortresses, uh, places that they're going to gather the most spiritual of the Mormons, the ones who have taken care of themselves, the ones who have made storage, not the nominal or Laodicean-type Mormons, if you will, or the Jack Mormons is the term. I think Jack Mormon is kind of like Laodicean in the church. Uh, so they have prepared ahead of time to run into the mountains, just like the Scripture says. I'd, my eye doesn't fall on that one right now. But it says dwell in the rock, up in the rocks of the mountains. Well, I do see that one. Anyway, uh, verse 31, Therefore will I howl for Moab, and I will cry out for all Moab. My heart shall mourn for the men of uh, Kirhiris. O vine of Sibma, I will weep for you with the weeping of Jazer, Thy plants are gone over the sea, they reach even to the sea of Jazer. The spoiler is fallen upon your summer fruits and upon your vintage. The spoiler, the destroyer, has come on summer fruits and vintage is the harvesting of grapes. So again, you have here uh, fall, late summer and fall. Now, uh, Daniel, other scriptures that I'm not going to go to today for sake of time, talk about uh, the northern army overrunning Ammon and Moab uh, and Esau or Edom, and apparently some of it at the same time that Ephraim and Israel is overrun. So if the Mormons be, indeed, uh, a great part of Moab and Ammon, uh, will they not be overrun at the same time as the rest of the nation? And will it be coming on the summer fruits, and on the vintage. So even though this is a prophecy against Ammon and Moab, it may have to do with the destruction of Israel as well at the same time. And it gives a time of the year. That was the main point here. Uh, and to show that this is not an ancient thing, look at verse 47 of chapter 48. Yet will I turn around the captive, captivity of Moab in the latter days, says the Eternal, and thus far is the judgment of Moab. Now, it hasn't all been written yet. It may depend on how they respond. But he says they're going to be destroyed, and apparently in the summer and fall. Uh, 
And uh, this is a latter-day prophecy. Uh, then you have one, uh, the next chapter is against Ammon. So Moab and Ammon were those two daughters. I don't, I didn't, uh, I don't know that I looked through here. Here it talks about how they will dwell in the clefts of the rock in verse 16 of chapter 49. Uh, and make their nest as high as the eagle. And that's where I've been told that they are making their fortresses is up high in the mountains. And also Edom shall be as a desolation. Everyone that goes by it shall be astonished and shall hiss at all the plagues thereof. Now Edom is Esau. The Bible defines it that way. I could go there and show you. It says in so many words, Edom is Esau. Uh, but Edom here is lumped with Ammon and Moab. And uh, Esau now is the brother of Jacob, as you know. And we have petroglyphs right here in this area, several places that show uh, a man grabbing another man's heel. And in my mind, that could only refer back to the story of Jacob and Esau. So whoever made these petroglyphs in this area knew the story of Jacob and Esau. And I think it was Israelites who did that. I don't think the Chinese would do it. I don't think the, you know, the Russians or the Congolese or anybody would have done it. It had to be Israelites that made these petroglyphs around here showing the heel grabber story. So Jacob and Esau are shown in proximity to each other right here in this area with petroglyphs. Quite a few of them. And they're lumped here in the Bible in Jeremiah 49. And it is just before chapters 50 and 51 which talk about the destruction of this country. So these are put together here, right adjacent to each other. Now remember, since Jacob and Esau are brothers, they will have very similar physical characteristics. Uh, brothers. Uh, so, why do you see a lot of Anglo-Saxons who are blonde, blue-eyed, red-headed, uh, fair of skin, and you, that's Jacobites, uh, Anglo-Saxon as we would call them. Uh, and then you have these people here who may be Ammonites and Moabites, again, part of Abraham's family, and you have those of Esau who were in the same family as Jacob. And you have among the Mormons many blue-eyed blondes, redheads, people of fair skin. Uh, so it's hard to tell an average American Anglo-Saxon from uh, a typical Mormon, let's say. Uh, they're very, very similar, and you wouldn't know the difference seeing them walk down the street. Uh, well, depending on what part of the Mormons they are. You recognize the plagues immediately because of their dress and hairdo, but not the average Mormon, mainstream Mormon, let's say. So if they're around us here, um, they look like regular Israelites to the, to the eye. But they may not be. They may be brothers. Anyway, uh, let's go on to toward the... Uh, Oh, I already did 48. Let's go to chapter 50 of Jeremiah now. Now, this chapter starts out 
about God speaking against Babylon and the Chaldeans uh, and talks about how Babylon is going to be taken and broken in pieces and her, her idols confounded and so on and that this destruction will come from the north. <coughs> now realize, again, um, we could go back to the whole series I did on Babylon and showing that it can only fit America, uh, the modern Babylon today. And uh, it will be destroyed. In two places, the book of Revelation says Babylon has fallen, is fallen. So the modern leader of Babylon is the predominant nation on earth today, the United States. Uh, it will be destroyed by the beast and the false prophet, in whom America, the, the, be the, the woman, rides today. Now, the Bible defines the great whore as Israel, uh, Ezekiel 16. It says, you don't look like Israelites to me. You, you look like Hittites and whatever, whatever else it was there in Ezekiel 16. You look like Gentiles to me, God says. You don't look like you came from Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So, And then he calls her the great whore there in Ezekiel 16. So the great whore of Babylon... Uh, God has named in Ezekiel 16 and other places. Uh, and again in Revelation 18, and for His people to come out of her. Well, how many of His people are in the ancient site of Babylon and Mesopotamia? Zero. None. Uh, we've had very, very few uh, Arabs of any stripe in the church. There have been a very, very few here and there. And certainly not a congregation over there at all, just like in the nation of Israel. There's never been a congregation, a worldwide church of God, or a spiritual Judah in that nation. That Jerusalem has never had a baptism that I know of, and certainly never a congregation. Well, where are God's people? primarily in the greatest number in this nation. So when he talks about come, flee from her, this is the nation that we are in where we flee from Babylon and go into the wilderness, as we know. So that's the setup here going into chapter 50. It says that this northern army will make her land desolate in verse 3. Uh, verse 4, In those days, and in that time, says the Eternal, the children of Israel shall come, they and the children of Judah together, going and weeping, they shall go and seek the Eternal their God, and ask the way to Zion, with their faces headed that direction. Let us join to the Eternal. And then he shows how they've been lost sheep, the shepherds have caused them to gone astray, and how they've gone from mountain to hill, bigger churches to smaller ones, and have forgotten their resting place. Confusion is there. And then he says, verse 8, we move out of the midst of Babylon and go forth out of the land of the Chaldeans, and so on, saying that he will raise uh, a great army against. Isaiah 48 says the same thing. Flee out of the middle of Babylon, because destruction is coming on it. So that is the setting here. Uh, does that tie in with what we read in Jeremiah about the summer's ended, the harvest has passed, and we are not saved. And now it looks like the northern army is about to come down on us. How do we get to Zion? Now, meantime, God will have had to have begun to do some miracles of some kind, signs and wonders, to show people what is at Zion. 
Uh, he, he has to show his hand. There in Zechariah 3, Christ is the rock that the eyes of the seven churches look on. He's the one that does the miracles that cause people to know where to look because they'll see 10%, a remnant of the church, Christ working in the area around Zion, right here in southwestern USA. All right, let's, let's be moving on and get down to where I was headed. Uh, verse 15, Shout against her round about. She has given her hand. Her foundations are fallen. Her walls are thrown down. For it is the vengeance of the eternal. Well, let's a- analyze that a little bit now. Shout against the United States, who is the Babylon being described here. She has given her hand. She has made a deal of some kind behind the scenes and sold out the nation. Now, this would have to be within or by the leadership of the nation. The mechanic down here in the garage hasn't made a deal to sell out uh, our nation. The only ones behind the scenes that can sell us out would be our leaders. She's given her hand, and that has resulted in then. Her foundations are fallen. Now, what is this nation founded on? It's founded on a declaration of independence and the Constitution. The Constitution of the United States has been declared the same as toilet paper by one of our recent presidents. And... uh, and is being countermanded by executive orders and absolutely destroyed by both the executive and the judicial branches today. So the foundation is being torn down by our leaders so that we will be powerless, that we will not be a nation ruled by law anymore, but by the whim of those in charge. That's where we are. The foundations are broken down. Her walls are thrown down. What is a wall? In biblical prophecy, a wall is your defense. Unwalled villages could be attacked (coughs) and destroyed, but walled villages had a better chance of withstanding an attack because there was a wall between them and their enemies, and they could throw things down off the wall and keep the enemy out, perhaps. What is happening in America today? Our military has been taken apart. We are now at a level of personnel that is pre-World War II. Our army is being made smaller and smaller and smaller by the day, week, and month. So, uh, it's like a wall around a city. They're they're taking off the top row of uh, the wall, and then they take off the second wall. There's less and less defense there. Uh, at the same time, we have fired, I think, the count now is approaching, what, 250 top-level uh, generals and leaders in the military have been fired by the current administration just in the last couple, three years. So those men who are against us giving our hand and selling us out to foreign powers are being gotten rid of just as fast as possible. So, our defenses are being taken down and removed ahead of time. We also have, 
many, many pockets of foreign soldiers, uh, UN soldiers, being scattered across the country, and many, many Russian soldiers. Uh, the Smoky Mountains are known as one place where there's a great number of them in uh, eastern Tennessee. Uh, I have uh, children of my own, my kids. They're in their 40s, but they're still my kids, <coughs> who have told me they very, very frequently, it's just common, see groups of Russian soldiers all around Colorado Springs. Sometimes they're speaking Russian. They're very, very clearly not American citizens, and they're all of military age. So I'm reading it on the Internet. I'm seeing pictures of it. And uh, I have people that I know very well who would know uh, who are seeing it with their very own eyes. So a deal has been struck, and we have... Foreign soldiers on our soil now, we have them amassed on the Canadian border about to come in, and we have Muslim cell pockets uh, in Mexico just across from El Paso. All kinds of things are happening that show that because we've given our hand, made a deal with our enemies, our foundations are fallen and our walls are being thrown down. Now, this is being made primarily with the communists and with the Muslims. Uh, the Bible talks about the destruction being led by a nation from the north, but Psalm 83 and other places show that it will be a great company of nations. A whole bunch of nations will join together to destroy America. The beast and the whore, uh, I mean the beast and the false prophet, are what will become the new world order. And that is comprised of basically all the nations, but they're going to be led by the Assyrian and by and be accompanied by their allies, the Chinese and the Indians and, and Muslims and everyone. Now, they won't get along with themselves altogether, iron and miry clay, but they will combine in the destruction of America first. To have a world-ruling empire, you've got to get rid of America, who has been the one in charge the last few decades. That has to go away. And they're working on it. And I think I can show you in another sermon how this has being, been being planned for decades and is now coming to fruition. The Bible says that. And that's, that's what I base it on. It's what the Bible says. And then look around and see what is happening before our very eyes to see if it fits what's happening or what the Bible says will happen. So our foundation is almost destroyed now. Uh, we are basically a socialistic country governed by the whims of bureaucracies, uh, not by the Constitution. And our military is being destroyed, even as we've invited our enemies in, uh, who are willing to fire on Americans if some American soldiers are not. We'll see about a, a civil war here in just a moment. <clears throat> now, verse 16, in that context, cut off the sower from Babylon and him that handles the sickle in the time of harvest. For fear of the oppressing sword, they shall turn everyone to his people and they shall flee everyone to his own land. So, is the destruction going to start 
And people here who are doing harvesting, who does most of the harvesting these days? Mexicans, Guatemalans, people who have come across our border, and they take those jobs that Americans don't want. Uh, at least that's the way it's said. And says, during the time of the harvest, they're going to turn around and run back where they came from <laughs> because things will be getting so dangerous in this country. Those that put in the sickle in the time of harvest for fear of the oppressing sword. So it hasn't, the, the oppressing sword of the northern army hasn't hit at that point, but there's fear that it is about to. And that kind of seems to give a, a time frame. <clears throat> now let's go on. Uh, well, verse 28. The voice of them that flee and escape out of the land of Babylon to declare in Zion the vengeance of the eternal our God, the vengeance of his temple. So uh, God is going to call his remnant to Zion during this particular time. And where will we flee from? America to Zion. Also, people from other countries, he says, they'll gather from north, south, east, and west, but most of it has been uh, the United States, secondly Canada, and then Britain. So, uh, the main nations of Israel. Let's go on then to chapter uh, uh, 51. And here I'll pick it up at uh, verse uh, 33. Well, let's, let's go to 32 to get the context again. And that the passages are stopped, and the reeds they have burned with fire, and the men of war are affrighted. So, destruction will come, and our own men of war are going to be scared to death, because they realize they're outnumbered and outgunned. For thus says the Eternal of hosts, the God of Israel, The daughter of Babylon is like a threshing floor. It is time to thresh her. Yet a little while, and the time of her harvest shall come. Now that doesn't say in so many words that it will come at the time of the threshing, but it certainly gives you an analogy of how the nation is going to be threshed, and it is time to thresh her. Now, put together with what we read so far, that could indicate uh, summer and fall again. Now let's go on down. <coughs> In this same context, same time element, verse 45, My people, go you out of the middle of her, and deliver you every man his soul from the fierce anger of the eternal. Same as Micah 4, where it says, Get out of the midst of Babylon, flee to the wilderness, go even to Babylon. So it's within the country, but at Zion. Now notice verse 46, And lest your heart faint, and you fear for the rumor that shall be heard in the land. A rumor shall both come, one year they say, in italics, and after that, in another year, shall come a rumor and violence in the land, ruler against ruler. I want to look that one up in the Hebrew and say, see what it literally says. Do you have rumors and destruction in that same year as a possibility? But some of these rumors about civil war and revolution have been going on now for two or three or four years pretty heavily in the alternate media, uh, showing signs of how it is going to come down with martial law and 
executive orders and and the UN and Russians. There have been rumors of this stuff now for several years that have been going on. The question is then, is it coming to a climax this summer uh, revolving around <clears throat> the events leading up to the election and what things could be done? But it says, uh, and violence in the land, ruler against ruler. So at the time that the northern army is threatening to come in and people are fearing it, it says that within the nation there will be violence ruler against ruler. There have been threats already this very year. And people in some pretty high places in Congress have even said that Donald Trump ought to be assassinated. There are actual quotes from at least one congressman that he should be assassinated. Now, is that rumors in the land and threats of violence, ruler against ruler? And now they're threatening to that there will be riots, no matter which way nominations or election go, uh, because people are being, being uh, forced by a lot of these rumors into taking one side or the other. So when you have rulers standing against each other and making threats, then the people take sides, and then is when violence breaks out in the land. Are we coming up to that? A lot of signs could be indicating it, uh, even this very summer. Uh, I'm not going to say it's going to be this summer, but... Uh, you look at the handwriting on the wall, and uh, a lot is going on that could lead to this this summer. We shall see very soon, shall we not? But here, revolution, civil war, just before the Northern Army, uh, is indicated, and perhaps even in the time of threshing or of the harvest. And all the scriptures we've been reading up to this point seem to indicate that very possibility. Now let's see some very, very clear ones. Let's go to Amos 3. Uh, here we get into the minor prophets, which are uh, chapters of one book put together by God about the church and our nation here at the end time. Amos 3, <clears throat> here he, this whole book talks about the armies coming against us and, and uh, Edom being destroyed and uh, Damascus, again, uh, Tyre, uh, Edom, Ammon. So Amos lumps them together just like we read there in Jeremiah 48, 49, and 50. Uh, and it may be these people around us, Moab here in chapter 2. Uh, and then Judah's transgressions in verse 4 of chapter 2, and then the transgressions of Israel in verse 6. So he lumps these Israel along with some of her cousins and brothers together here in destruction in the book of Amos. Now, let's go on down. Uh, verse 14 well, let's, let's see again who he's speaking to primarily here. Hear you in verse 13, and testify in the house of Jacob, says the Eternal of God, the God of hosts. Now, he's, he's mentioned these satellite peoples that are dwelling, I think, among us and around us 
particularly here in Utah, <coughs> that in the day that I shall visit the transgressions of Israel upon him, I will also visit the altars of Bethel, and the horns of the altar shall be cut off and fall to the ground. Uh, horn represents power, uh, so the altar uh, will be destroyed. Or religion, or the church, and religion in our country. So what has happened in the destruction in the church, and the horns being destroyed, and the power of the church, is now coming on, shall we say, Christianity, or false Christianity. Those who claim to be Christians within our nation and, with, and throughout all Israel. We have <clears throat> laws being made that you can't quote the Bible or pray to Christ, or to God, the Father, in our schools. But you can raise the Muslim flag, and you can say prayers to Allah in our schools now. Uh, and you have Muslims being invited into Europe by the hundreds of thousands and into this country as fast as the present administration can get them here. And you have a White House that is inhabited by many, many Muslims. Uh, they're in very, very high positions in the current administration. And they all hate, above everything else, Christianity. All Christians must die. It's what the Koran says, and it's what they believe. And they behead Christians in the Middle East regularly now. And there was just a report yesterday of a, a body being found in a pickup truck in Texas with a head gone. Been decapitated and the body left in the pickup. Is it a setup to blame the Muslims or was it a Muslim that did it? <laughs> I don't know. That'll probably come out at some point. But in any case, <clears throat> Christianity is being destroyed. The horns of the altar both in the true church, the spiritual Jews, and in Christianity as a whole. <clears throat> and I will smite the winter house with the summer house, and the houses of ivory shall perish, and the great houses shall have an end, says the Eternal. Isaiah 5 talks about how we'll build houses and not dwell in them, we'll be cast out of them, so all of them make mansions that have been built by this uh, financial boom lately are going to be taken away. But I think it's interesting the way he puts it here. I'll smite the winter house. A lot of Americans have uh, two homes now. Snowbirds go from the northeast down to Florida to their condo or whatever, or their trailer down in Florida. So you have a lot of people that are what we call snowbirds. Uh, Right here locally, you have a lot of northern Utahns and Idahoans, Mormons who come down to the St. George area in the winter and spend the winter down here, and they're, they're the snowbirds of Utah. So he addresses both. But it is, he says, I'll smite the winter house with the summer house. I find the way that's worded very interesting, that he's going to smite the summer house, but along with it, the winter house is going to go. So that indicates, I think, the way it's written, that the destruction might be to the summer house, but the winter house is included, so the season must be the time of the summer house. Now, maybe I'm reading more into there than is there, but in light of these other scriptures and one we're about to read, perhaps this makes sense. Let's go to Amos 8, and this one is about as clear as it gets. So, we're all still talking about uh, the destruction of Israel, 
a plumb line in the midst of my people back in verse 8 of chapter 7 and so on. So it's talking about Judah uh, being destroyed and, and on. So let's go on to 8 in that context. <clears throat> thus says the thus has the eternal God showed to me. This is Amos speaking. And behold, a basket of summer fruit, or a basket of summer. Uh, I don't think fruit is actually in the Hebrew, so it's a basket of summer. But probably fruit or harvest is implied here, whether it's actually in the context text or not. Basket represents harvest, uh, so I think fruit probably is or fruit or harvest or Produce, in other words, is meant here. A basket of summer. And he said, Amos, what do you see? So he showed him this basket of produce. What do you see? Well, duh. I said, a basket of summer, or a basket of summer produce. Then said the Eternal to me, The end is come upon my people of Israel. I will not again pass by them any more. I don't think there's a lot of question on this one. You don't have to read it in. Why did he show him a basket of summer fruit? Why didn't he show him a basket of snowballs? You know, or uh, something of that nature. No, it was a basket of summer fruit. Fruit comes toward the end of the summer and into the fall. That which grows in the summer and is harvested at that time. So he showed him that as a vivid or very clear example of what he's talking about here. And he says, this summer basket, this produce, is a sign that the end is come and I will not pass over it again. Now, why did he use that particular analogy? Because it would appear that that destruction is going to come at that time of year. He would have used maybe a basket of barley if it had been springtime, the barley harvest or, or whatever, or a time when the trees are faded if it were winter. But no, he says summer fruit. So I think that is a very clear scripture. It says, verse 3, The songs of the temple shall be howlings in that day at the time of the summer fruit. There shall be many dead bodies in every place. They shall cast them forth with silence. The, the time again is mentioned in verse 5, saying, When will the new moon be gone that we may sell corn and the Sabbath that we may set forth wheat, <coughs> making the ephah small and the shekel great? In other words, falsifying the balances. We've always thought this was probably referring to uh, the Feast of Trumpets, uh, the new moon, uh, so they can sell corn and on the Sabbath wheat. Well, when do you sell your corn and wheat? When you harvest it in the fall. So, there again in the context, it seems to indicate uh, that particular time of the year when they're saying, when will the Sabbath be done? And the, the harvest time is when we have the most Sabbaths. Trumpets, atonement, piece of tabernacles, and I've known in our own land uh, farmers who had to leave their harvest right in the middle of the harvest to come to the Feast of Tabernacles. Uh, you know, when, when are these Sabbaths going to get out of our way so we can get on with our harvest? And, and hastening some of them. I've heard them talk, man, I'm working from daylight to midnight trying to get the harvest in before the feast. <laughs> uh, and 
the further north you go, the more that was prone to be the case. And even those reapers in this country now, you have people uh, who with, have a great number of harvesting machinery, combines, and so on. And they'll start in northern Texas and up through Oklahoma, Kansas, Nebraska, and on up into the Dakotas, just following the harvest because the harvest comes earlier in the southern U.S. and is ripens later in the north. So they just travel up the breadbasket from south to north, harvesting the crop as they go. So it does impact people, especially in the northern part of our breadbasket uh, in the fall. All right, let's pick up one more over in the book of Micah. Again, Micah is talking about the destruction of Israel, the destruction of the church, and fleeing out of the midst of Babylon. Uh, chapter 7, beginning in verse 1. Woe is me, for I am as when they have gathered the summer fruits, as the grape gleanings of the vintage, there is no cluster to eat, my soul desired the first ripe fruit. The good man is perished out of the earth, and there is none upright among men. They all lie in wait for blood. They hunt every man his brother with a net. Uh, it talks about the day of the watchman, and your visitation comes into chapter 4. I mean, verse 4. Now shall be their perplexity. Don't trust anybody, uh, because... When civil war and revolution break out, you can't trust anybody. Uh, you don't know who's on which side of what. Uh, even in our own civil war, you had people in their own families. Some were for the south, some were for the north. And you had brothers and cousins fighting one another and killing one another in our civil war. So the same thing he's talking about is going to happen right here. Now, here again, is he referring to a particular time of year this is going to break out? He says, I, woe is me. I, I'm here to have fruits from the summer and from the harvest, and there's nothing to eat. My soul desired the first ripe fruit. <coughs> but it's gone. It's destroyed. The, the invading army is coming. And I think in this particular case, maybe the civil war and revolution has cause this destruction to come even ahead of the invasion of the northern army. In other words, it's all part of the deal. We've, we've been sold out by our leaders. We've shaken our hand and made a deal behind the scenes to weaken and destroy the country as much as we can from within, maybe to cause a false flag or an election, something coming up to set it off, an EMP attack, you name it, to cause... Uh, the violence in the land, ruler against ruler and person against person, as Amos 7 says, and it may be at a time when we're expecting uh, fruit and vegetables and summer produce, and it doesn't come. In which case, the people of God would begin to say, uh, we need to get to Zion. Let's go. Now we're, not only have we got civil war and revolution in our country, now we're hearing that we're going to be invaded by the northern army and all these people that are arrayed against us because they're going to begin to beat their battle drums louder and louder. And don't we see that beginning to happen with Russian jets buzzing American boats and buzzing American planes and uh, saying they'll destroy us if we come into the South China Sea now anymore? And there's all kinds of 
war talk ratcheting up right now, even. And people are becoming concerned. And at the same time, we're talking about civil war and revolution in our own country. Now, is God telling us here that this may come late summer, fall, uh, possibly even of this year, because there's a lot of handwriting on the wall? I, you could make a case that, well, this is, this is a year when this talk starts, and it may be another year before it actually all hits. I don't know. But all I'm doing is trying to show you what God says uh, is coming, and we see certainly early signs. Here we are, late spring, not quite summer. We'll be another month, a little over a month before summer actually starts. We're already seeing a lot of rhetoric and a lot of worry and a lot of fretting and a lot of possibilities that seem to be there concerning even yet this summer and fall. So I think, uh, without making any specific prophecies, we need to be very, very aware of what's going on around us and be aware of our situation with God and where we need to be spiritually uh, because it's at the door. And, whether you know, when the door gets pushed open is a matter of time, and it, it could be this year yet, or it could be another year away. I don't know. I won't try to call that. But let's be very aware, and I thought it was interesting to go through a study on the destruction and the number of scriptures that are involved in talking about summer and fall, as opposed to looking up winter in a concordance, and there's nothing. Nothing. But all the analogies are about the months that are ahead of us right now. So, yeah, we can talk a lot about the times when God says He'll bless us, first month, ninth month, 24th day, whatever. But then sometimes maybe we need to look at the other side and see when destruction is decreed. And from these scriptures, uh, I get the picture of summer, fall, and I don't get indication of any other part of year in any other scriptures. So these kind of have to stand on their own merit and seem to indicate uh, the time of year that this is all going to come down, whether this year or next remains to be seen. But be very, very aware and realize that the Bible seems very much to coincide with what we see going on right now in our own nation.